0: Thank you, Pastor Tim, and it is really good to be with you all um, today. Um, I bring greetings from the south side, and I'm looking forward to, I believe we have a joint uh, Christmas Eve service or something at the end of the year service. It might actually be Christmas Eve. I think it's Sunday. Um, so looking forward to being with you um, at that point as well. Um, as Pastor Tim said, our passage from today for today is from Acts, the second chapter, uh, starting with verse 14. So if you're able, if you could stand uh, for the reading of the word. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, Before before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. Which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life and you will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he had a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. For many other words he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So our passage for today starts in verse 14 as I read in the second chapter of Acts. However, before we get into that, I kinda wanna set the stage a little bit and take a couple minutes and I want you to recall by, I'm just gonna read kind of a story, a narrative. I want you to recall the passage that came before this. This is what we may want to call, often we call Pentecost, the first Pentecost. So I want you to close your eyes, get comfortable, and put yourself in the story that I'm about to read. Imagine you're a Jew who has come to Jerusalem for the annual festival. You come every year. You look around and you see many people who look like you. You may see many people who don't look like you. And everybody is speaking different languages because they've come from across the, the region for this festival. You're all together in one place about to celebrate when all of a sudden you hear a sound that you've never heard before. It sounds like wind, but you feel nothing blowing on your skin. It sounds like a loud, rushing wind and the wind is coming from above, from the heavens. You look up and you still feel no wind, but you hear this loud, fast, whooshing sound. Your eyes dart up and down. You feel your body tense. More and more people have gathered in the crowd, having heard this sound, also alarmed. And then all of a sudden you hear these 12 men and you see what looks like fire in the shape of a tongue resting on their heads. But it's not fire because their hair is not burning. They don't seem bothered by it. They don't seem hot. And you can hear them speaking in your own language. You can understand exactly what they're saying. And you look around And you see another pilgrim from a neighboring land and you can hear them and you can see by the body language in their face that they can also hear what the men are saying in their own language. And you look around and it's clear from everyone, from Greece to Arabia, from Asia to North Africa, and the Jews from nearby Judea, they can all hear the words in their own language at the same time. And you also know that the men that are speaking are from Galilee and they speak Aramaic and yet they are speaking different languages in everybody's understanding. All right, end scene. So Acts two twelve to 13, which immediately precedes the passage I just read, says, amazed and perplexed, they asked another, one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. So take a moment and think about what you just experienced as you heard me read this narrative. What did you feel, think, smell, touch, wonder maybe? Would you have been in the group that was amazed and perplexed? Or would you have written the whole situation off as being a little too tipsy? Or maybe you're something in between. I want you to take a couple minutes, find some people that are next to you or behind you or around. Um, and talk, talk to them about how you experienced the visualization. If you're somebody who needs some guiding questions, there's a couple up here. Um, but take a few minutes and just kind of talk, talk to those around you about what, what it felt like. All right, take like 20 seconds and kind of finish up your thought. So I don't know about you, but when I as a 21st century Christian who has, you know, scientific knowledge, who can think about things and rationalize things away, Sometimes when I read a passage like this, I lose kind of the supernatural nature of what just happened, right? I'm just like, oh, that's just something that happened, you know, after Jesus, and, and then all we see the rest of it, right? But the reality of what happened is very supernatural, right? There's these crazy things that are going on, and all this miraculous out-of-the-world, out-of-this-world kind of things, and some people rightfully are amazed, and perplexed and wondering. And others are then saying, okay, they're just drunk. And we may write them off, but I don't want to write them off too quickly because I think it's a pretty human response. Um, and then Peter comes up. And remember, Peter is the one who formerly had kind of bumbled over his words, was a little bit unsure of himself. And then he comes and he speaks on behalf of the whole group. He's been, he's been elected or nominated to be the spokesperson. He's speaking to those people who had made fun of them, and he puts together these Old Testament prophecies to say, Jesus was really the Messiah. And God, in God's grace, we see, gives people multiple chances and multiple opportunities to understand who God is and what God is doing. People, Peter starts by saying, we're not drunk. Okay, people, come on, it's nine in the morning. I find that to kind of be the most hilarious passage here because you're like this is a very serious thing right but we're not drunk it's only nine in the morning and he goes on to say what just happened what you saw was a fulfillment of these prophecies from Joel from hundreds and thousands of years ago you see we're right now in the last days and the Holy Spirit has come the Holy Spirit is here this is the beginning of the end we're in the time in which God is making all things new through Jesus Joel said, in the last days, the Spirit of God would be poured out on everybody, young and old, men and women, and everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that was happening. And then Peter addresses the crowd as fellow Israelites, which tells us he's speaking to fellow Jews who understand what he's referring to. He's speaking to people who had come for the annual festival. He also, we find out, is speaking to people who were there when Jesus was put to death, who even assisted and participated in putting Jesus to death. And Peter is saying, this Jesus who you helped kill is who God brought back from the dead because death could not contain Jesus. This is the son of God who you've been waiting for. Then Peter goes on to talk about some other Psalms and say how this is really the fulfillment of what you've been waiting for. This is from the line of David. Jesus is from the line of David. And saying this is the Jesus who is now dead and come back and ascended to heaven just as you know this psalm says. And these folks would have known exactly what he was saying. And until that point had not put it all together. And then in verse 36 we get to the punchline. Where Peter says, therefore let all of Israel know that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Messiah. Peter explains that he is both Lord, he is both God, and he is our Savior. He is your Savior and your God. The Jews who had heard this good news, they finally really heard it. They put it together, and then as the text says in verse 37, they were cut to the heart. This is the only time this word is used in the Bible, cut to the heart, and it means pretty much what you think it means. They were wrecked, they were torn up, they were broken and moved and devastated by what they finally realized. The good news of Jesus has the power to change all of who we are. It has the power to change all of us, mind, body, spirit, soul. The good news of Jesus is that his life, death, resurrection, and return to the right hand of God conquered sin and death, and it changes everything. It changed everything then and it changes everything now. The good news that cut to the hearts of the Jews in the Jerusalem, they were eyewitnesses to the supernatural, they saw Jesus die and presumably they also saw Jesus back to life and they still didn't believe. But when they saw it, they realized and understood and it wrecked them, it moved them when they realized what they were seeing, when Peter put it all together. And this is the good news, that as many times as we've heard it before, it can still change us. It can still change all of us, every single one of us. And I mean us together, us as a first person plural pronoun. And I mean all of us, that God can change our entire beings, our bodies, minds, soul, spirit, what we think. It affects every dimension of who we are. Acts 2, 14 to 40 is a story of how the good news changes everything for a hardened, dedicated group of religious Jews because they were moved by the Holy Spirit and they allowed the Holy Spirit to move them. So today we'll look at how the Israelites who heard Peter on that Pentecost day responded to the good news. And we'll we'll, uh, explore two ways that the all-encompassing, transformative good news compels us to respond to the Holy Spirit. The good news changes all of who we are, how we respond, who we belong to, what we believe, and ultimately how we live. The first way we respond to the good news is by allowing the Holy Spirit to move all of who we are. And second, we respond to the good news by doing the consistent work to show up differently. So the first way that we respond to the good news that changes everything is by allowing the Holy Spirit to move all of us. In verse 37, Luke, the author of Acts, writes that the Jews were cut to the heart upon realizing they had crucified Jesus. When the Holy Spirit came down to make their hearts soft enough to be cut, something changed. So they not only rationally understood it in their minds, but somehow it impacted them in an emotional, spiritual way that it didn't before. They were there when Jesus was killed. They heard of his resurrection or maybe they even saw the risen Christ and yet even in all of those instances they were able to rationalize it to say hey that's not true or have some other explanation. We have to remember that just a few minutes before hearing this sermon that Peter gave they're writing off Pentecost. Literally minutes before they're saying oh they were just drunk. And then they heard the sound, and the fire, and heard the languages. And when they heard all of that, they still reduced it. They reduced it to something rationally that they could understand. Drunkenness, this is why people do this. They speak funny, and they, you know, this is is what it is. So they rationalize what's unexplainable in an explainable way. And now they're dealing with the reality that it's really unexplainable, and that the person whom they now and now know as their Messiah, who they've been waiting for, who their families have been waiting for for generations and generations. They had killed and rejected him. They must have felt overwhelmed, guilty, ashamed, despairing, the list could go on. The Holy Spirit impacted them in a real, full way and they couldn't help but respond to the good news. And then after being cut to the heart, they say to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what, what should we do? The good news of Jesus calls us to faith in community, right? Those listening to Peter could have just turned inward and been like, oh my gosh, I just did this. I'm such a bad person. I'm such, I've missed it all. But instead, what they do in a matter of minutes, they go from calling the disciples drunkards to being, turning to them and saying, brothers, family, what can we do? They were cut to the heart and they acknowledged their own limitation, they asked for help. It takes humility to ask from help for those you you literally minutes ago just wrote off. When you went through the initial um, visualization of, of Pentecost, how did you respond? Did you find yourself listening and immersing yourself in the scene and wondering what was going on? Did you find yourself analyzing the exercise, trying to figure out where is she going with all of this? Or were you wondering about, was that a tornado? Was that some sort of supersonic thing? I don't know, what what were you thinking? And there's no judgment here, because I think this is a human um, reaction to make sense rationally. and make sense based on our own context of something that's unexplainable. In fact, sometimes it's kind of self-protective to try to rationalize something. Because it's, it's something that's new, right? It's something that's hard. And the Jews who determined at that Pentecost day that at, at that moment that it was a display of public drunkenness. At least for that moment, they saved themselves from dealing with a truth that could completely change the way they lived and change as I'm sure you all know, will always require adjustment and newness and uncertainty and, a, and faith because we can't see it. So when the Holy Spirit moves us in a way we don't recognize or is hard to understand, it costs us to say, hey, I'm going to wrestle with this. And it's only human in some ways to compartmentalize or to rationalize or to discount what's going on. So the first way we respond to the transformative good news of Jesus is by allowing the Holy Spirit to move all of who we are. And practically, in order to be aware of the Holy Spirit in our whole beings, in our thoughts, feelings, emotions, spirits, bodies, we have to practice being aware of our own thoughts, feelings, emotions, spirits, and bodies. So here's a couple of ways maybe that we prepare ourselves to respond to Holy Spirit with all of who we are. The first way is to prepare ourselves um, is to be intentional about naming and resisting the pressure, pressure, cultural or otherwise, to compartmentalize, compartmentalize our lives or to rationalize things away. God made us as whole people with minds and bodies. What we think affects how we feel, How we feel will affect our bodies. If we're stressed, it's gonna affect how tight, at least for me, how tight my shoulders are, how fast I'm gonna walk. If I've eaten well or slept well, that's gonna impact how I react. When we slow down and increase our awareness of how we might be feeling or thinking or what's resonating in our spirits, we can more easily see what might be impacting us. And in turn, we can also see how what's in us is impacting each other. This awareness of my whole self increased. uh, One instance a couple weeks ago, i noticed I had worked a lot for the past couple weeks. It's kind of the end of the year, I work in finance and operations, and there's all these end-of-the-year budget things that we have to do. And I noticed I was being very irritable with my children, with my family. Um, And I started reflecting on it, because it was lasting for a while, and I didn't like who I was becoming. I was reflecting on it one night and kind of really felt moved by the Holy Spirit to recenter and to try to be present with my family and try to not, try to sleep more and eat better and things that kind of get away from you um, when the end of the year rush feels consuming. But if in a previous life not too long ago, maybe four or five years ago, I would just brush that off and I'd say like, I just gotta get my work done, I just gotta do stuff, this is the byproduct. But in this time, when I'm more intentional about knowing what's going on, then I can respond to it. Um, and, And I believe this is how the Holy Spirit works in us, that when we're aware of who we are and what's going on, that then we can respond and be more like we're called to be. So how might you be more aware of your thoughts or feelings or the sensations in your body? When do you need to just slow down and be with yourself? In what area of your life might it be helpful to resist the urges to explain things away, let the sensations or feelings or emotions just be pushed down? Where can you let all of yourself exist without judging yourself? And after we've increased our awareness of our whole selves, another way to prepare ourselves to respond to the Holy Spirit is to actually act and respond without overthinking things. The Holy Spirit works in all of who we are, moving in many different ways. It can speak in us, through us, through other people, through circumstances, in worship, in creation, in scripture, the list goes on. When we slow down and we're more mindful of the things that distract us or the ways that keep us from staying with God, being present with ourselves, we're more open to hear from and sense the presence of the Holy Spirit. This awareness makes us more able to to respond when the name of a friend or an acquaintance pops to mind and then say hey maybe I need to pray for this person or text this person or call this person. This holistic awareness draws our senses maybe when you're driving a familiar route on the way home to maybe take a different way for some unexplainable reason because there's gonna be some opportunity that comes up that wouldn't have come up otherwise. This awareness might draw our attention to a beautiful sunset or a unique cloud formation that on any other day we would just ignore and not notice. And sometimes, let's be honest, a thought is just a thought or a feeling is just a feeling, but sometimes that person that you've called or texted really needed to hear that that day and you were the one that the Holy Spirit was working through to get there. Sometimes that encounter, going the other direction, makes you pray in a way or see something that you never would have otherwise. When we're aware of our whole selves, we're more able to respond to where the Holy Spirit may be present in us, in our community, and in the world. So the first way we respond to the transformative good news is by allowing the Holy Spirit to move all of who we are. The second way we respond to the transformative good news is by doing the consistent work to show up differently. In, being, in response to being asked, brothers, what shall we do? In verse 38, Peter replies on behalf of the rest of the disciples and says, repent and be baptized. And then he invites every one of them and all their families to be baptized in the name of Jesus, receive forgiveness for their sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is grace here, right? Because they just saw the Holy Spirit and they missed it. And Peter said, this is for you, right? The Jews in Jerusalem being deeply moved by Peter's words were convicted of both their involvement in the execution of the Messiah and they were convicted of the fulfillment in Jesus of the prophecy that Peter was preaching. And then they ask for help. They said, what should we do? We, we, Now we realize this. What should we do? And Peter simply says, repent and be baptized. Repent meaning turn from your ways, turn to a new way, receive the gift of forgiveness in Jesus' name, and be baptized. That in that act of baptism, you'll be plunged under the water. Coming up, your old self will die, and your new self will come up and having turned towards new life, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so repentance is an intentional turn from previous ways and turning to a new way. It's a 180 degree turn facing away from what was and turning towards what is. Baptism is the public declaration of ones turning from their old ways and receiving Jesus and then turning to new life in Christ. Then Peter goes on in verse 39, encouraging and affirming them, saying that this promise, this forgiveness of sins and new life in the Spirit, it's not just for you, but it's for your children and their children's children and anyone who calls on the name of the Lord. This is also grace. This is to say you don't even have to see it to believe it, that you can go and tell other people, and this grace is for them too. This good news is for them too. Peter reminds them that this forgiveness, and it's not meant to stop with themselves, it's meant to be going out and to keep going out for the generations to come. Peter is reminding them that this salvation is an invitation to continue to be in right relationship with God. And it's an invitation to be the people of God and to be in relationship with the children of God. In some ways, the fact that Peter is the one giving the sermon and inviting the Jews to Jerusalem is a living witness to the work of the Holy Spirit. Remember just a few weeks earlier, Peter, before Jesus' death, was impulsive. He was rash, he cut off somebody's ear in defense of Jesus. He denied he even knew Jesus. And we again, we may gloss over this change that happened in a matter of weeks with our 21st century eyes. But when we put ourselves in the moment for a second, we realize that Peter giving this bold sermon is a 180 degree change. It's active, living evidence to the work of the Holy Spirit and the power of the good news of the gospel. The Holy Spirit has moved the Jews to confess Jesus as Messiah and Lord, and the Holy Spirit has emboldened and changed how Peter even shows up in the world. Peter is, in effect, saying, come join us. Repent and be baptized. Join the people of God and let us together proclaim and embody this good news together. Confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior and participate in bringing this all-transforming good news to others, to future generations. Just as your eyes were opened just now, show up differently and open other people's eyes. Let the way that you show up be a witness to the reality of this life-transforming, all-encompassing good news of Jesus that changes everything. Then in verse 40, we learn that Peter said a lot of other things that could be summarized with save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And we are reminded that the work of being saved, the work of showing up differently, of being a witness belonging to Jesus and the power of the good news requires work. And so the second way we respond to the transformative good news is by doing the consistent work to show up differently. When I hear Peter's directive to save yourself from this corrupt generation, what I hear him saying is be intentional to live into a new reality. Don't be anti what you came from, but figure out what you're for and intentionally live for it. Repentance is both turning away from an old reality and turning towards a new one. It's not just stopping one reality, but starting a new one, and being intentional to live into the reality. When I think about this, I often think of myself as a child, or even my own children. It's one thing to tell them, stop running, stop running, right, in the wrong place. It's another thing to tell them, please use your feet slowly and be calm, because that's telling them what to do. And I think about when I was a child being told not to do something, I'm just like, I feel like... You're just telling me I'm wrong or I'm not doing something right. But when somebody's giving me actual direction to say, this is what I need you to do, it's much easier, it's much clearer. So when we show up differently, we're not just trying to not be something. We're trying to live into who God is creating us to be, who God is calling us to be. So one example, I think, these days especially of repentance, that's not just a turning away, but a turning towards is doing the consistent work to address the racist tendencies that exist in all of us. It's one thing to educate ourselves so we don't say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing and not to offend somebody. But it's something different to intentionally humble ourselves and build a relationship where there's genuine affection and mutual vulnerability that we would be comfortable saying to somebody who looks different than us and being open to giving and receiving correction for our own actions. It's one thing to be against the way white supremacy does not value black and brown bodies, which is true in the same way that it values white ones. But it's another thing to submit ourselves to being led by somebody who looks different from us, to give up power when we have it, and to show up differently. Or to actually put ourselves on the line when we see somebody being mistreated rather than just walking away, because we can. And so here's a couple other ways that we can also respond to the good news by consistently doing the work of showing up differently. One way is to respond to the good news by making a commitment to testifying to your people about how the Holy Spirit is moving in you, how the Holy Spirit is feeling, making you feel like you're being cut to the heart. We live in a culture that makes it very easy um, to center our own lives. That I can go around saying, I'm just worried about what I need to do and what, you know, what is good for me. And it's tempting to believe the lie that I can take care of myself and I can will myself to make things or make the circumstances the way that I want them. And it can also be tempting to apply this individualism to how we follow Jesus and live our faith. We can say, you know, it's, my faith is just about, about me and my own salvation. We can say, my faith is just about what I need. And this comes in big and little and implicit and explicit ways. But testifying to others of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives declares that how the Holy Spirit is working in my life does not just matter for me, but it matters for you. Because it matters because the work of the Holy Spirit in my life points may point to you how the Holy Spirit is working in your life. And how the Holy Spirit is working in your life may remind me that the Holy Spirit is working in my life. When I am in a place of spiritual dryness, hearing your testimony of how God is moving in you or around you, or how God is present with you, reminds me that that same God is working in me. And this is the beauty of the body of Christ. That just in Acts, as the Jews who initially wrote off Pentecost as drunkenness, so they could somehow rationalize it. We're now brought to a new understanding. Because God they understood that God worked throughout their history and their life of their community. And that we stand here to testify because they were faithful. But they only could see that because they listened to Peter. And they Peter was willing, who knows how or why, because we don't have those details, but Peter was willing to get up and do that. Um, So we never know how our own testimony is gonna affect each other's, but we need to have the boldness and the courage, and sometimes we have to overcome that resistance to actually tell somebody else. Another way to practically respond to the good news by doing the consistent work to show up differently is to be aware of the ways that who we are and the identity markers that make us who we are can insulate us from the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit. What societal powers or privileges do you hold that keep you reliant on yourself more than being open to the Holy Spirit? Perhaps it's your level of education or how much money you make or where you live or what job you have. Perhaps it's your racial, ethnic, or family culture that tells you that people who don't have those things, who have less education or less money or different life experience are less credible witnesses of the Holy Spirit than people who are more like you. Just like the Jews in Jerusalem initially wrote off the apostles because they looked like they were acting drunk, what person or group of people would you write off or discount the ability for the Holy Spirit to work in or be present in? Perhaps it's those who hold a particular political, social, or theological stance that's different than yours. Perhaps it's those who are working a certain number of rungs below you on the organizational hierarchy. Perhaps it's the person who doesn't have a home or who who is asking for something that makes you feel a certain way. Perhaps it's people who are younger of a less seasoned generation than you. When we are aware of how our identity and our biases can insulate us from the Holy Spirit, then we can consciously respond differently when those biases are activated because we know that's what's happening. Our awareness also allows us to intentionally put ourselves in safe spaces where we can be formed or can be challenged by those who we tend to write off. Because the same God that is at work in us is the same God that is at work in whoever we think them is. The same God who created you in God's image also created whoever you think them is in God's image. So as we move towards communion and we remember the life and the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, that Jesus lived and died and rose again so that we could all be in right relationship with God, participating in making all God's creation new, remember that this good news changes everything. Remember that God calls us to the table together, that we don't need to do this alone that God has been, is, and working in us, in the people God made, and in the world God made and loved, in all of God's creation, as it was intended to be. The power of the good news of Jesus has transformed all things and is still in the process of transforming all things. Take heart that the same Holy Spirit that moved and caused those who initially discounted Jesus as Messiah is the same Holy Spirit that moves today. Friends, this is good news, that Christ has died, that Christ has risen, Christ will come again, and even in the midst of that, that Christ is present with us. I think we spend a lot of time talking about trying to find out where God is working, what God is doing, and that is all well and good. But the reality is as we move, especially as we are reminded, as we move towards the Advent season, the good news is that God is with us. God is not just concerned about the work that God is doing in us. God is with us. And so when we know the good news, that the grace of God, the power of the Holy Spirit is with us, that changes everything. We see it changes an unfeeling heart of stone into a heart of flesh that feels deeply what God is doing. So I would encourage you, wherever you're coming from today, that God is with you, that God can change you, and that God can change all of us for God's glory and neighbor's good. So we'll move into communion in a couple minutes, um, but let me pray, and let's just take a few moments to reflect. Lord God, we thank you that you are good. Lord, we thank you that you are with us. We thank you that you have moved throughout all of history and yet you are still with us here today. And so, Lord God, I thank you that your good news changes everything, that the gospel is never too old or never too, um, too familiar, that it doesn't make a difference in our lives today. So, Lord God, I ask that you would Soften our hearts, open our minds and our spirits and our bodies. That we would see and hear and touch and understand you in new ways today. I want to pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.